Let's read together from Luke 23 and bring God glory by hearing his word concerning the crucifixion and death of his son. Luke 23, verse 13, page 1050, 1050 in your pew Bibles. Start reading at verse 13 where Jesus has been condemned to death by a Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. Since they don't have power to give or to execute, they hand him over to a Roman court to stand before Pontius Pilate as judge. We take it up at verse 13 and read through verse 49. Luke 23, verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him, by Jesus. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt-deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, Barabbas, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for, for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. If you just turn your attention to verses 33 and 34a, we want to focus on that this morning. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, or but Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is God's word, and he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, Good Friday is a day of huge, life-saving contrasts. It's a day of darkness for our Lord, Lord Jesus and a day of light, a bright day for us. Jesus paid for our sins. Our sins are condemned in him and they're gone. It was a day of the death sentence for Jesus, but for Barabbas, a day of being released from his death sentence for insurrection, violence, and murder. It was a day of sin for Jesus. He became sin for us, but a day of forgiveness for everybody who believes in him, including that one thief on the cross, that one robber, criminal on the cross. It's a day when God forsakes his son but also the day when God accepts us as children, everybody who believes in his son. It's a day of punishment for our Lord and a day of paradise for every believer. But even more than a day of contrast, there's more going on. It's a day of substitution. Jesus took our place. It was a special feast day in Israel, Passover, that very same day, Passover, where they remembered how the lamb was slaughtered way back in Egypt. And every home that had the blood of the lamb smeared on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that home. Jesus, the lamb of God, was slaughtered for sinners, 
so that everyone who believes in him, the angel of judgment, the angel of death, God's judgment passes over you and instead you have life. He took your place. What a beautiful day and what a beautiful savior. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a day to believe in him today. And it's a day to renew your faith in him today. So today we see Jesus coming to the end of his journey. Remember, he set his face to go to Jerusalem to die. And now he reaches the end of his journey. While beside him, another man has his journey reversed. He's headed for death. But he begins a new journey that goes to paradise. The end of Jesus' journey is the beginning of a journey to life for everybody who believes. His journey's end is our beginning. Well, let's see three things here. The place where Jesus ended his journey. The place of the skull hanging among criminals. And then his prayer at the end of his journey. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then the promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise for everyone who believes. First then, the place. In Aramaic, the name of the place is Golgotha. In Greek, it's cranium. In Latin, it's Calvary. In English, the skull. Either the ground was strewn with skulls of earlier crucifixion victims, or the crucifixion took place on a hill which from one angle was shaped like a skull. But either way, the name has an ominous tone. It's foreboding. It sounds deadly, and it is. It's a place of the curse. And here's where they brought our Lord Jesus to his journey's end. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He never did anything wrong. He's the sinless son of God. The unblemished lamb. And he ends his earthly mission at the skull. And at this place, the skull, he was crucified with two criminals. Actually between them. One on his right, one on his left. And for the Romans, this is just funny. It's part of their mockery. Oh, here's the ringleader, Jesus. Ha ha. Here's the central criminal. Let's put him in the middle. What a joke that is. For the Romans, it was funny. For the Jews, it was fitting. He is the worst. He's taking Barabbas' place. Barabbas is more innocent than he. He is more of a criminal than Barabbas, one of the leading criminals of that day, an insurrectionist, a murderer, a violent man, a thug. For the Jews, it's fitting, and for God, it's fulfillment of prophecy. We read it in Isaiah 53. He poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
If you want to see a clear display of the fact that he is, he became one of us. He stood in the place of the sinner. Here it is. He's crucified with a trio, as a trio of criminals. And there he hung with the criminals in their company and fellowship with them as one of them. And the most amazing thing is Jesus accepted that place. I came to take your place. I came to stand in your place. The Father has chosen to lay your crimes on me, to make me a criminal, to set you free. Just earlier, the Pharisees and the scribes have been complaining that Jesus has been eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, hanging out with them. Well, now he literally is hanging out with them, hanging on the cross, crucified together, dying together. Brothers and sisters, you really can't have a clearer picture from God of who he is and why he came. He came for criminals. Oh, just for criminals? And the Bible says that's what we all are. No one is good, no, not one. There's no one righteous, the Bible says. We're all criminals in the sight of God. He came for us, to die for us. Even the nicest, most decent, politest, most honest, and most moral person out there is in God's sight a criminal. The most church-going person is a criminal by nature in the sight of God and needs saving, saving by Jesus Christ. Jesus' death among the criminals. It's a clear display of what he came to do, become a criminal for us, stand in our place, become sin for us in order to save us, and he's in the middle of them to prove that he will become the chief, the central criminal for us, so that people like Saul of Tarsus, who said, this is a true and faithful saying, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the chief, then the Lord Jesus says, you can come to me too. I became the chief, the center of criminals. So that nobody can say, most people can be covered by the death of Jesus, but I am too bad. He'll say, no, I became the lowest of criminals for you. And maybe you think, oh, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. That's the only kind of person Jesus came to save. Those who are not good enough to be a Christian. And if you are good enough to be a Christian, he will not save you. You're too good for him. The Bible says, Jesus saying, I did not come for the righteous, but for sinners who repent. I'm too bad to be a Christian. That's the only kind of person fit to become a Christian. It's a person who totally gives up on him or herself, claims nothing for him or herself, and runs to Jesus for refuge and says, I need you. All of you and only you. And then Jesus says, 
I came for you. Come to me and I will save you. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful event and what a beautiful place. The place of the skull with criminals in the middle and a beautiful display that he's for you, dear sinner. And sometimes as believers, we still get so weighed down by how sinful we are, how much we can doubt, how far we can go astray, how can we can repeat the same things over and over. And to do, today he also says to you, yes, look to me. I am your salvation. I am fit for you. Let's see secondly his prayer. And Jesus said, there he was being hung on a cross, crucified with criminals in the center. The next words, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's not separate 33 and 34 because they belong together. This is the first of Jesus' seven words or seven sayings from the cross. And the truly remarkable thing that's easy to miss here is that he's actually saying these words while they're crucifying him. There is the cross laying on the ground. There they are, banging nails through his wrists, through his ankles, hoisting the cross, letting it drop with a thud into the ground and all his bones going out of joint, excruciating pain. And what's the groan? What's the cry? What's the noise he makes? Father, forgive them. Actually, in the Greek, the sense or the, the tense is imperfect. He kept saying, the International Standard Version actually puts it that way, but Jesus kept saying. So as they're doing this, on the ground, lifting it up, tossing it in, and then moving away, as they're doing that, he's praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He keeps saying for they know not what they do. And if you smash your thumb with a hammer, that excruciating pain will draw out of you the, the first thing, right? And it's not always very good. But what our Lord Jesus said in that deepest agony, the first words out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. That proves what filled his heart. What love for sinners, for his enemies, filled his heart. Unbelievable love. Charles Spurgeon says, so you notice when it was that Jesus pleaded, Father, forgive them? It was while they were crucifying him. They had not just driven in the nails. They had lifted up the cross and tossed it down into its socket and dislocated all his bones so that he could say in Psalm 22, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. But instead of crying out or groaning, 
This dear son of God said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. They did not ask for forgiveness for themselves. Jesus asked forgiveness for them. Their hands were covered with blood. And that was when he prayed for them. Let's think of the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were yet sinners, when we were rioting in sin, when we drank it down as the ox drinks down water. Even then he prayed for us, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Been a lot of discussion over the years who the them are. Father, forgive them. Is it the Romans nailing him to the cross? Is it the criminals crucified beside him? Is it the Jewish people who yelled crucify him? Is it just the elect people around the cross? How about all of the above? Because he doesn't specify. While it's for Jesus to purchase the forgiveness of our sins at the cross, it's for the Father to give forgiveness to all who by faith trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And while only the elect receive faith and are willing to believe, God calls everyone everywhere to repent and believe. And Jesus calls you to put yourself in the them. Father, forgive them. And to see that as a pleading ground for yourself. I'm the one, one of the them. I nailed you to the tree. I wasn't there in the flesh But both the Jews and the Gentiles, Herod and Pontius Pilate gathered together. I was there. I was represented. My sins nailed you to the tree. I'm one of the them. Please, please forgive my sin. This too is according to prophecy. Remember what we read in Isaiah 53. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. He's numbered with them at the cross, and he makes intercession for the transgressors at the cross. He prays. It's a place of refuge. It's a prayer for you to find refuge. The centurion went there for refuge. He's praying for me. One of the robbers crucified alongside him went there for refuge. Thousands of the crowds who said crucify him 50 days later in the day of Pentecost went there for refuge. Many of the priests who organized his crucifixion came to faith later. They went there for refuge. Let's also go to the prayer of Jesus for his enemies. For refuge. Again, Charles Spurgeon, he reflected on that little word, them. And I have that printed in the bulletin on the facing page. In a sermon on this prayer, Charles Spurgeon wrote, I feel that I can crawl into that pronoun, them. Can you get in there? Oh, by a humble faith, appropriate the cross of Christ. Make the cross of Christ your own by trusting in it and get into that big little word, them. It seems like a chariot of mercy that has come down to earth into which a man may step and it will bring you up to heaven. Father, forgive them. Crawl into that little word. Make it your own. Say, Father, because of what Christ did for me, a transgressor, a sinner, a criminal at the cross, Forgive 
my sins. Take them away. Remember them no more. Do not hold them against me. Accept me as righteous. Love me as your own child. And he will. The first martyr of the church in the new covenant, Stephen, prayed a similar prayer. As he was speaking for Christ and the Jewish leaders came and the people came and they threw stones at him and they killed him. As he was being stoned, as they were killing him, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's an encouragement for us to pray for our enemies as well, like Stephen did, to those who persecute, bully, and badger us. To pray to the Father for them, that they would repent and confess their sins in the name of Jesus, and the Father would forgive them, and they would become new creatures. They would also have a reverse of journey. Rather than journeying toward punishment as rebels of God, turning Christ in faith and beginning a journey to paradise, the journey of forgiveness, the journey of a new life. May that love so fill our hearts that that becomes our first response to those who hate us. Well, let's take a moment to look thirdly at his promise. His place, the place of the skull between two criminals. His prayer, Father, forgive them. But notice now, one of those two criminals took refuge in that pronoun, them. Father, forgive them. And he turned to Jesus for salvation. Now, the other gospels tell us that first both criminals were cursing Jesus. They were railing at him. But one of the two had a change of heart while hanging there on the cross. While the other one kept cursing Jesus, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He hates Jesus. He didn't want Jesus. He just wanted down. He wanted Jesus to do something for him, but he didn't believe in him. This should totally frighten us. This criminal on the cross has the yawning gates of hell clawing at him. Come here. On the other side, there's an open door to paradise. Believe in Jesus. Be saved. And while so close to death, he chooses the door of hating Jesus, rejecting the Christ, and going to hell. And if you're in that spot today, you've got these two doors in front of you. It should be clear to you and me which door is the good door, and which door God is calling you, urging you to take, and which door Jesus prayed for. For you to take. And that's where the other criminal went. As the other man hung beside Jesus, he believed in this dying man. Like, it's hard for us to believe in God 
in Jesus when he's strong and he's doing miracles, but here he is, weak, pathetic, hanging from a cross, helpless, dying. But it's in those moments that he sees evidences. This is the son of God. And he trusts in him. First, he feared God. He said to the other guy, do you not fear God? Secondly, he confessed his sin. I'm justly being punished and so are you, but this man has done nothing wrong. So thirdly, he also confessed Jesus' righteousness. This man has done nothing wrong. But then he personally called on Jesus' name. He said, Jesus. He confessed his grace. Remember me. Salvation is in you remembering me. When you come into your kingdom. In other words, he believed that after Jesus died, he would rise again and rule a kingdom. Like This is amazing. Faith. What God can produce in a sinner who's so obstinate and so oppositional to God and so defiant. This is what God can do in you. Pray for that. And Jesus promised him, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is immediate. It's personal. You'll be with me. Ultimately, that's what heaven's about. Not doing whatever you want. It's about being with Jesus and walking with him in close fellowship. The salvation's eternal. Paradise is never ending. And it's glorious and beautiful. It's a restored life. And though he entered paradise like within a few hours of this promise, we who believe in Jesus also have this gift of salvation immediately. Paradise becomes your inheritance right away. Your walk in life becomes a personal walk with God through Jesus right away. You have eternal life. You have hope. And nobody can take that away from you right now. What a way to walk and spend the rest of your life. So that his journey's end becomes your journey's beginning. And you reverse course from a pathway that leads to hell to a pathway that leads to God and glory and Jesus. May God give us grace to see the dying Lamb of God, to put our trust in that pronoun them, Father, forgive them. And to know the promise of paradise is ours. God is yours and you are his through faith in Jesus. He is the only way. Believe in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we call upon your name with thanksgiving. We praise you for giving us such a clear display at the cross who we are and who Jesus is and what he has done for us and where life is going when we are with him. So we pray that you will give us joy, joy in the journey that leads to paradise, joy in the Lord Jesus Christ who opens that gate. Give us faith and renewed faith to trust 
in you, Lord Jesus, and to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.